Welcome to The Sky's the Limit with host Dee Brown, the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority public private partnership real estate developer. Here's Dee. Joining me today on this episode of The Sky's the Limit is the head of the Global Fixed Income Mutual Funds team at S&P Global Ratings. She leads a global team responsible for analyzing more than $4.8 trillion in managed assets across seven currencies. Her group assigns, maintains, and monitors ratings, as well as provide market research for portfolios of fixed income assets, including money market funds, bond funds, exchange-traded funds, offshore funds, and local government investment pools. Ladies and gentlemen, Please welcome G. Johnson to the sky's the limit. G, I'm so happy to have you on my show today. Thank you very much, Dee. Thank you for having me, and I'm excited to move forward. I really like the title of your show. Thank you so much. And so, G, we got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to jump right into it. Now, you have a really fascinating story. You know, growing up in the rural Mississippi Delta, graduating from high school there, moving on to Jackson State University, the Jackson State University, an HBCU located in Jackson, Mississippi and then on to the Ohio State University School of Law. Now, you have had really a unique path to your current success. Give me kind of a background on your educational journey. My educational journey, as you said, started at Jackson State University. My parents did attend Jackson State University, so I had a deep fondness for the school prior to even attending. I decided to be a math major because I was really good in math. My father uh, spent a lot of time with me as a kid being his assistant with all of the organizations in which he volunteered. And so he was the finance chair or the treasurer, which meant I was the finance chair and the treasurer. So I was able to learn a lot about numbers and was able to go to Jackson State and really refine that in being a math major. My senior year at Jackson State, I decided to take an elective called an Introduction to Law. And it was the first time that I was able to realize that I could apply my critical thinking skills beyond what I originally thought was my path to be an engineer. And so I applied to the Ohio State University College of Law and had an amazing opportunity to select classes that really resonated with me. And the ones that I loved the most were those that had a financial component. So secure transactions, tax, bankruptcy, gifts, wills, and estates, the classes that really had like a slight slant to it with finance. After finishing law school, I did take the bar. So I am a licensed attorney. And I used um, the next step on my journey to work at the United States Bankruptcy Court in Columbus, Ohio, to be a judicial law clerk. And in short, a judicial law clerk is a very prestigious opportunity to work with a judge and essentially be the right hand of the judge. And in that assignment, I was able to really have the opportunity to work with complex financially distressed corporations. And so it is the combination of the math degree, the law degree, and the judicial clerkship that I had, which gave me the momentum to really say I am in the right pathway. 
Wow, you know, you have a really interesting story there because you kind of took this journey from STEM to law. So does that result in a lot of unique looks and stares when people read your resume and kind of see how you journeyed and ended up from a STEM program to Wall Street? Uh, D, if I had a dollar for every time someone asked me that question, I probably would own an island right now. <laughs> uh, being a math major means that I'm a very linear thinker. And so it was very logical to me to go from math to law because you're using critical thinking. And I had a, an affinity for complex problem solving. And that's what you do when you were in law school. And so from my perspective, it was very logical to go from math and to law. I'll also add that when you are applying to law school, uh, they're also looking for diversity in thought. And so although it may seem like it's very logical to be, let's say, maybe an English major or a political science major, uh, law schools are looking for people who have technical skills and quantitative skills. So I think that's what also made me very attractive with my application. So during your journey in your professional world, you transitioned from bankruptcy to structured finance. And so that's obviously a big leap in a different direction as well. So talk about how you made that transition. Well, it's not that big of a leap to go from bankruptcy to structured finance because of the nature of structured finance. There is a very large bankruptcy analysis that's involved. And so when dealing with structured financings, you're looking at, let's say, a pool of assets that are being securitized in order to ultimately issue debt instruments. And when you start that analysis, you're looking at less what they call an SPV, a special purpose vehicle or a special purpose entity. And that is an entire bankruptcy, a remote discussion. And so not only was I able to leverage the actual expertise I received at the bankruptcy court, I think the legal background also helped a lot because we're dealing with a lot of legal documents in addition to the actual cash flows that are coming into the structure. And so, like I said, it's a culmination of the math, my passion for finance and the law that I think was were able to provide me with the support in order to be successful in structured finance. But then you decided that you were going to take another career leap, correct? You went from structured finance and now you're the head of global ratings for S&P. So talk to me about that transition and how, I guess, your experience in structured finance and bankruptcy really positioned you for that next step in your professional career. Well, that is a really good question. When I was in the structured finance department, uh, the type of securities that I rated were on the short end of the curve. So securities that matured within 397 days or less. The great thing about the transition is that I was rating securities that were ultimately being purchased by a certain type of investor, investors that are on the short end of the curve, such as a money market fund. And so the transition was a natural one in that I went from rating securities on the short end of the curve to rating the investors who purchased the securities that were on the short end of the curve. Beyond just the actual work that I did, the critical thinking skills, again, is like the linchpin of my success. You're constantly having to think quickly on your feet, have a very critical analysis, we're problem solving. And I think along the way, what I was able to also do is to develop leadership skills. 
And so for me, is a very natural progression from structured finance to fund ratings. Understood. So I always say, G, that every time there's a, an opportunity or an occurrence, whether good or bad, it presents opportunity for us to grow and expand our careers and, and find new paths that we may previously have not thought about. Are there any particular unexpected occurrences in your life that led to you taking advantage of unique opportunities? I agree with you. I think some of the greatest opportunities that I've ever had in my career were unexpected. Two that I can think of offhand would be S&P had opportunities for analysts to engage in international rotations. And I put my name in the hat and, you know, I felt really good about my application, but I also know that it's very competitive and my colleagues are, are very talented. And I didn't think about it anymore. A couple of months later, my manager called and said, you have been selected. And so I got the opportunity to rate mutual funds out of our London office and cover EMEA domicile credits. It was a fantastic opportunity. It had a, a regulatory slant in that money market funds or funds in the United States are regulated by the SEC. Well, here's a different regulatory body. It's ESMA. And so I was thrust right in the middle of that. And it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, I tried to take full advantage of not only the professional opportunities, but also immerse myself in the culture because you know, the global economies are driven sometimes by cultural differences and those cultural differences and the global economic differences impact money market funds differently. While in London, another unexpected opportunity came about. Uh, the company was going through another initiative in order to become compliant with the Dodd-Frank Reform Act. And I was selected as one of the analysts to move to the New York office and work on that particular initiative. Again, it was very unexpected, but it gave me great exposure to the company on a much different level. My parents have always been a proponents of just try, just try. And so I did, I packed my bags and I say I reluctantly moved to New York only because I was having a really good time with my colleagues in Europe, but I had an equally good time in New York. and so. You ask me, what are some of my favorite cities? They are yeah. London and New York. Hey, those are two of my favorites as well. Now, I would say most people's lives are defined by two things, success and failure. I think what actually make a person who they are is being able to not only fail at something, but being able to recover from those failures. Are there any particular failures in your life or career that you gained a lot of experience from that helped you get to where you are today? The failure that comes up for me is, I would consider an epic failure because I didn't learn from it the first time. The lesson came around twice. And so the failure was with respect to really thinking that having an amazing work ethic and having accolades from having, for having completed a project alone would be sufficient to propel my career forward. And it didn't. And so I had a really great person in the industry that I called to explain after the second time, why was I not able to have any upward trajectory? And so I explained what happened and she said, 
you have the work ethic, you have the accomplishments, and you have a mentor. But the two things you don't have are a sponsor and you don't have the discernment to understand the difference between the sponsor and the mentor. And it took me back a bit, but when I absorbed it, it really was about the fact that even though I had the work ethic and I had the accolades, what I didn't have was someone to speak on my behalf in the room when I wasn't able to right. speak for myself. And so that was the greatest failure and the lesson that I learned. You know, that's a very important lesson as well. You know, I tell people all the time that your, your skills and your talents will get you in the door, but it's those relationships or sponsors, right, that are going to be speaking up for you when you're not in the room that keep you in the door. So I think that's a very important lesson that all young people and all alike need to learn a lot from. Now, I know there's a philanthropic side to everything that you do, and you're very big on philanthropy. And one of the things that I know you do is you volunteer to be the chair of the Jackson State University Development Foundation Board, and you've been a longtime member of that board. Talk to me about your prior experiences that kind of prepared you to take the leadership role of such an important position for Jackson State University. Well, the first I would say it was about the passion that I have for not just my alma mater, but my parents' alma mater. So it started off with just the passion of wanting to give back. And I started off as, you know, a basic donor by giving first my donations, private donations, and then was able to provide my time. And I think what has prepared me for this particular opportunity is every experience that I've had. It requires critical thinking. It requires problem solving of very complex structures. It requires relationships. Being that it is a volunteer board, you need to make sure that you are able to create the relationships before you even ask anyone to provide you with a donation. I think also strategic planning. Uh, in my job, I've done a lot of strategic planning and have been tasked with determining various operational efficiencies. So I was able to bring all of those skills to the board, and we have been able to execute quite a few new initiatives, as well as create a strategic plan that supports the strategic plan of the university. You know, I have a lot of admiration for you and the role that you play in that position, particularly because especially, you know, young people of color who are often challenged with how they're going to stay in school, how they're going to continue their education, and they meet these challenges. And then the, you have a foundation like the Jackson State University Development Foundation that's there to help fill the gap and help to put young people in a position to be successful. So for them, have very, very high regards for you in their role. And I know, as I said, philanthropy is important to you. Are there any particular areas of philanthropy over and above education, obviously, that you're passionate about? Beyond education, I think it's the first cousin to education is financial literacy. And the piece of financial literacy that resonates a lot with me is financial literacy for kids. I just love to get every kid and start them off at a very young age and teach them about finances at an age-appropriate level all the way through ages 18. Because I think that being able to manage money and understand the power of money, the real power of money, is really the key to success. Absolutely. And I want to ask you this question. So obviously being the head, a large group at S&P, 
It's a big accomplishment for anyone. And so when you start talking about a minority, that's even a bigger accomplishment. And then a woman of color, you know, so you're a double minority in this particular instance. Being able to have risen to that level of success in your selected field, how do you feel like you can impact others through, I guess, the glass ceiling you've broken through? A really good question, Dee. I have never really looked at myself as a double minority per se. What I always wanted was to be looked at as a great analyst. And I try to donate my time. So beyond just the fact that I'm the board chair, what I've tried to do is to be a facilitator of information to not just my school, but other schools where there are children of color that I feel can be competitive, but for not having the information. I also volunteer as a mentor. So in addition to working on the board, I have uh, a couple of different mentees that attend Jackson State. And so for me, it's a little bit more hands-on because I do like the one-on-one aspect of trying to show someone better than tell them. I know as a, a teenager, I really didn't like to be told but I was a little bit more in tune if I could see it. And so I'm hopeful that as I return to Jackson State and I'm speaking to students at Career Day or even uh, at s and I'm working on a couple of new initiatives that the company has launched, hopefully with my face, just the, the mere fact that they see me in the room, that they'll be inspired to look at a non-traditional route, like perhaps being a STEM major and then going to law school and then working on Wall Street. Right. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great story. So if you had to give the 18-year-old G some advice, what would that advice be? Well, uh, that advice would only be about 17 years old. So I would tell uh, my, <laughs> my 18-year-old self to first just be flexible. And I think my trajectory shows a lot of flexibility to try new things. Even if you really can't see the end of the road, just try it. Just be flexible enough to try. I talk a lot about being fluid. Uh, Fluid is the bob and weave of the world. It is, you know, you look one way and something you think you're headed left and all of a sudden the car is spinning to the right. You have to be fluid enough to move quickly, nimble enough to be able to adjust. And I think the third thing I would tell my 18-year-old self would be to have faith. Have faith that I have the skills, that you know, I have the background in order to succeed. And this, there have been times when I have had self-doubt, but just keep the faith and keep moving forward and things will work out. So those would be the things that I would tell my 18-year-old self. So, G, I know you're passionate about structured finance. I know you're passionate about philanthropy. What other things are you very passionate about? I am a very creative person, which I don't think many people know. I am very passionate about photography. I love to collect fine art. I like water sports. So swimming and surfing and you know, anything that has to do with warm weather, weather sports and water, I love a lot. And I, like I said, I like financial literacy a lot because I just feel like that is so key to changing the lives of 
children and generations to come. Also very passionate, which I received from my grandmother, I love residential real estate. And so my grandmother purchased smaller houses and I used to sit at her ankles and she would explain to me profitability and expense ratios. And so I have this really keen passion for residential real estate on the side because I used to spend so much time with my grandmother. Well, I would just kind of circle back to something that you mentioned twice, and that's financial literacy. I think that's very critical, especially, and I keep going back to communities of color because I know that there's a big gap in terms of wealth, a big gap in terms of home ownership, savings, you know, retirements. Uh, so there's a big gap there. And the gap is there because of the lack of financial literacy. And so I think that if we can start early and teach that and begin to also build legacies uh, for our families, we can help close that gap. So that's a very important issue that needs a lot of attention in America, if not around the world. If you had to write a book tomorrow, what would it be about? If I had to write a book tomorrow, I probably would take the opportunity to write a periodical for children, again, on financial literacy, where it's age appropriate. So with my parents having been educators and administrators, you know, I do understand like the various levels in which you need to hit in their developmental stages. And so it would be like a periodical, like the old Britannica encyclopedias, where the first set is for, let's say, ages three to five and, and until you get to age 18. And I would like to do it where it would have like a digital component in order to really access children and how they learn today. So writing it in a periodical style may have worked when I was growing up, but I recognize, you know, the way the world has changed and the way people learn and access information that would have to have some sort of digital component to it. So I would write a book, but it would have a digital slant. Gotcha. So G, you've had an amazing career. What's on the horizon? What's next for you? Where do you see yourself going five, 10 years from now? Well, on the immediate front, I really am enjoying my job. I have an amazing team and we have some really new initiatives at the start of the year. And so I'm looking forward to returning and executing on some of the mandates that I have for my team. I would also like to leverage my skill set and continue on some strategic initiatives that I have with the board. I've worked with not only the Jackson State University Development Foundation Board, but other non-for-profit boards. And so if you tell me to look a little further out on the curve, I would say I would like the opportunity to bring my level of expertise to some corporate boardships. And then finally, because you know I am very much into philanthropy, I would like to continue using all of the skills that I have in order to continue to give back to the community. That's very honorable. So. Gee, I cannot wrap this interview up without talking about something that's always near and dear to me, and that's that's Greek life. As everyone knows, I'm a proud life member of Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity, and I know you are a member of Delta Sigma Theta sorority. And for me, the fraternal bond, the brotherhood has played an instrumental role in both my personal and professional life. And so for you, I would like to know what does your sisterhood mean to you? Well, I am a very proud member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. I am a legacy. My mother and my sister are also members of the same sorority. And the bond of sisterhood, it's like a blood sister. It's like someone that you know you can always call on 
in times of good or times of bad. Some of my best friends are members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. Not that I don't have friends that are not members, but just the connectivity that we have has just sustained us for over 20 years. And so professionally, I would say that it's the camaraderie and the level of pride and dignity and giving back that members of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated always exemplify. And I am just glad to be a member of such a sorority that has such a rich history in not only service, but also in professional development and educational endeavors. Thank you for that, G. Listen, I really appreciate you taking time out of your extremely busy schedule to be on my podcast. Thank you so much. I'm glad to have you. And hopefully I have you on another show soon. But thank you very much for having me. This was really exciting and I had an amazing time. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, G. Johnson. The P3 Group is a proud supporter of HBCUs. We recognize the value of our HBCUs that have filled the educational gap for communities of color for more than a century. As one of the nation's leading real estate development firms, we recognize that the real value of building community is in empowering its people. We are the P3 Group. Design, build, finance. You can bank on us. This has been The Sky's the Limit with D. Brown. To find out more about D, go to dbrownceo.com or Google D. Brown CEO. And to connect with the P3 Group, check out the P3GroupInc.com. The Sky's the Limit is a production of self-made D. Brown CEO.